Welcome to Bald Business, the naked truth in entrepreneurship. Let's begin. Welcome back to another episode of Bald Business, the naked truth in entrepreneurship. I'm super excited today because I have Grant Elliott with me. Uh, with Rehab Fix, mm-hmm. and uh, he is, I, would you consider the fitness industry, the health industry? Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. we're all part of the health yeah, industry, yeah. sure. Cool. So um, I was super excited to have you on, mainly because I believe, obviously, in health and fitness, and I think what you're doing with people's low back, um, specifically, but then just how you help people heal functionally versus like going and having a surgery is really, really cool. Um, so let's just start kind of at the beginning. Like, What got you into the health field, I guess. And why specifically did you get into, you're a doctor chiropractic, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but you're not like your standard old school chiropractic where you come in, just get cracked and you leave. Uh, Right. So, so I really want people to understand that um, and how different that is and and why this is the approach that you've taken. And then we'll get into some other stuff. Yeah. So initial background, broad question of what got me into health and fitness. Um, I'm the youngest of three boys. We were all in athletics growing up. So just Sports, you know, activity, exercise was just just a part of our upbringing. Okay, so we were all in sports, and I, I did a uh, wrestling and cycling throughout high school. So I was always interested in being in the gym and being fit and stuff like that. And um, I'll kind of blend my journey to want to become a chiropractor with my interest in fitness. Okay, where as I was really peaking with cycling, I was three and a half years into racing and I was, wow, I I was getting, that. I was actually getting to be quite good. I started to get some scholarship offers from some schools in Colorado, North Carolina. And, um, I was in my last, no, not my last season, my second to last season. I started to get low back issues. Okay. And this isn't going where you think it's going to go. <laughs> I started getting low back issues and it was starting to like significantly affect my races. Cause at that point I was what was considered, um, a cat two racer moving into cat one where the races would sometimes between one and uh, one and a half, uh, two and a half hour races. Mm-hmm. So a while on a bike at maximal effort. And these were all mountain biking. It was mountain biking. Okay. Got it. Cross country mountain biking. Um, and so then I started to get to the point where like an hour and a half into the race, my low back would really start cramping up, getting tight. And then I would have to like, uh, like barely make it through the end. Mm-hmm. And then it started to cramp up like an hour in. And then I would like only make it another 30 minutes. And then I would start to like really fall back and started messing with me. And then it got to be 45 minutes and I'd have to stop, get off my bike, stretch in the woods, get back on and go. Wow. And at that level, you can't let five, yeah. five seconds. Yeah. Go. No, I mean, you're getting smoked after that. <laughs> smoked. So I started just getting last in yeah. races. Right. Yeah. And so my dad was like, all right, we got to do something about it. And remember I'm like 16, 17. Of course. Um, so let's go see a chiropractor. So I went to see a chiropractor and, more old school, traditional one that you would say, uh, come in three times a week. You're going to be fine. Look at these curves on your x-ray. So I was going in three times every week and, um, I nothing, nothing's changing. You know, what should I do? Oh, just keep coming. Keep coming. Mm -hmm. coming. Uh, two, three, four, five weeks go by still bailing out of my races. Five minutes. Uh. So, um, you know, my dad didn't really know what to do. They didn't really know much better at that time. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't know any better. So I stopped racing. So I stopped racing. I was no longer in athletics. And then I was like, well, I need an outlet. So then I fell in love with the gym. Uh, I started just like, you know, bodybuilding, lifting heavy, getting that sort of thing. Eventually competed in a few bodybuilding shows and what have you. But how that transitions to me becoming a chiropractor, most people think 
Oh, you're gonna have a great experience with a chiropractor. That's why you want to become one. And it's the opposite. Bad experience. Yeah. And then about two years after that, once I was really into training, I was at LA Fitness back in Indiana. Okay. And one of the trainers um was a chiropractor and he was just getting started. So he was personal training on the side, okay. his business and all that. And I got to know him. And just the things he was saying was very different was more about, you know, function and movement Mm -hmm. and rehab and those things, things I was never exposed to. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to learn more about what you do. I just want to come shadow you. So I went and I shadowed him. He worked on me a little bit too. And I had like a little neck injury at that time. Um, and I was like, Oh my gosh, if this had been what I had received, I'd still be racing (laughs) two years, I would still be racing (laughs) and I would maybe have my school paid for what have you now, you know, of course we're all happy with how our lives end up because everything happens for a reason. Of course. Of course. At that point, I knew I always wanted to be in something related to health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought for some time I wanted to be a doctor of some sort, but then that inspired me to become a chiropractor so I could ensure that no more individuals had the experience that I did. That's so great. So I could prevent that scenario from happening. That's great. So went through my undergraduate, um, exercise science, mm-hmm. uh, went to St. Louis for chiropractic school, which is three and a half years year round. Um, average, it is year round. Okay. It is year round. Okay. Yeah. We average around 36 to 40 credit hours per trimester. Wow. Uh, so heavy course load, but it's like accelerated pace. Mm-hmm. So we can graduate early, which I prefer. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Um, <laughs> graduated from there. I know I'm skipping a lot here, but, oh, um, was from the very start focused more on rehab movement, not just, you know, crack in two minutes. See you next week. Crack, right. See you next week. My, my goal was to, get people better and for them to not need me. Mm-hmm. And that's still the same goal today for ultimately people to not need me at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe just for support here and there. Yeah. Check-ins, um, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But the goal is for people to not be dependent on any right. healthcare provider. Of course. Not even me. Of course. Yeah. So that's, no, that's, the, that's awesome. Yeah. And I did forget to mention we're both from Indiana. So yes. that was, which was weird. Cause I, I knew about you when I was in Indy, but we just never, I don't know, we just never crossed paths. And then when we were here, we, we did. So that was super random and yeah, it's a yeah. small world. <laughs> it is a small world. <laughs> um, so let's kind of talk about for a minute, you know, you were obviously a high level athlete, right? In that sport. Um, that's very frustrating to have to give up that. Yeah. Right. What do you feel like was, you know, you went and saw this chiropractor. He said, just give it time, give it time, give it time. It didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Did you, after that experience say, I'll never go back to another chiropractor or was it kind of like, you just didn't know, maybe he just didn't figure it out because you're 16. Right. So, I mean, is it more just like, well, I guess it just wasn't meant to be, (laughs) or do you like, did you know, like this was bad? Yeah. So at that point in my level of development, right. uh, I don't think I was making any sort of broad judgment calls on the profession as a whole. It was more so just, Meh, yeah. I guess that didn't work. Well, Not some sure frustration probably. Yeah, of course. I yeah, was yeah. highly frustrated. Yeah. Um, felt like I was at a dead end, but I didn't, I didn't develop any, you know, like pre-perceived notions about chiropractors as a whole. I just thought that didn't work. Mm-hmm. I have no direction on where to go from here. So I guess I need to stop because this is painful and embarrassing. Right. So I'll just start working out now. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, um, and just so that I'm really understanding when you go to chiropractic school, is there a lot of that therapy that's taught or is that something that you took upon yourself and said, all right, look, there's a better way and I'm going to actually improve this yeah. as a whole? Yeah. Great question. So as with any program mm-hmm. in any sort of university, there's what you're taught 
in the classroom and there's what you can learn outside of it, of but still related to you being in that atmosphere. Yes, right? absolutely. So I always, I say this and it's quite blunt, but it's true. If I only knew what the school taught me, I would suck at my job. Okay. And yeah. uh, I, I think that's I most that. things. Yeah it, yeah, it is most things, yeah. but that's what most people do. They rely on the curriculum and it's just right. not, it won't suffice um, right. in this day and age, at least right. for the kind of treatment that I want to be able to provide. So, um, of course there were, you know, certain professors that influenced me a lot and helped guide me the right direction. But ultimately <laughs> almost every ounce of knowledge that I apply and use was learned elsewhere. Got now, it. what I always say, and some people say, Grant, like you're doing all this online stuff now and other things. It's very untraditional. Mm-hmm. Do you regret, you know, going to school for three and a half years, spending that money, making that investment, um, because of, you know, how you're not really using it. Yeah. Well, Ultimately, that's not true because I needed to be in that environment mm. to be exposed to these different avenues. Right. And what I've never been exposed to these other seminars or shadowing opportunities or lectures where I learned this good information unless I'd been in that environment. Right. So I truly would have never known it. Yeah. So just being in that atmosphere was very conducive. Well, well I think too, um, I think in general, people, I think people regret a lot of things. It's something that I try not to do is re- regret a lot of things. Um, but I mean, you're going to live and learn, right? So even if you had regretted it, like, what does that matter? Like he, yeah, you, you took some value from it one way or the other. Absolutely. So no, I love that. Yeah. Um, so kind of transitioning into how specifically you help people, um, because we've been sitting at home for at least all of this year. Um, a lot of people, sit anyways. Uh, I don't, I don't know what the statistic is exactly, but I do know that they have compared sitting to smoking, Mm -hmm. uh, from a standpoint of overall health. I don't know. What do you think of that? Uh, open up a can of worms here. So for the longest (laughs) time, they did say, you know, sitting is the new smoking, but you know, standing all day isn't better either. Right. Well, ultimately if if we look at the evidence Mm -hmm. and we look at studies that assess postural positions, postural changes, and how that relates to poor function and pain, Truly, there is no substantial evidence to say sitting is bad. Okay. But that's because that's a very generic statement. Right? Okay. It's hard to say anything is good or bad. Okay. What you can say is a movement or a position that your body is not prepared for could be good or bad based on the individual. Mm. So if I am used to sitting, Eight hours straight might have been uncomfortable at first and guarantee I'm still going to be stiff even if I have the best back in the world. Mm -hmm. But if I'm used to that, if that's part of my job, if I'm doing that day in, day out for years, as opposed to someone else who's used to being very active Mm -hmm. and then they're told, all right, now sit for eight hours, they're going to be way more susceptible to pain and impairment of function uh, than I would because my body is used to it. So it's not that sitting is the problem. It's that their body had adapted to it and they're not used to it. Mm. Now, generally speaking, and I'm, I know I'm going on a tangent. No, it's fine. I it's like it. probably what you want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, generally speaking, though, sitting in one position for eight hours isn't good no matter who you are. But it's not because they're sitting with, you know, rounded shoulders or whatever. That's not the problem with it. Mm-hmm. The problem with it is that they're in a same position for eight hours. Mm. So I don't care for the visual attendees here. Yeah. I don't care if you're sitting like this mm-hmm. or sitting like this, either one, if you're in either of those, you know, bad or good positions for too long, you're going to feel pain. You're going to feel stiffness. Mm-hmm. You're going to start to get achy. Mm-hmm. And the analogy I give all the time is, um, I'm going to turn sideways here. Pretend, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretend I strain my elbow. So okay. for uh, purely the auditory listeners here, uh, you strain your elbow 
you, you, you bend it, you have it in a sling or something, ah, it hurts. Um, and then, you know, over time, you know, you need to get it stretched and get it moving and, and let it release over time. Mm-hmm. But let's say that, you know, you've had it in here for, you know, months potentially, mm-hmm. and then you go to straighten it out and you're like, oh man, like, oh, like that's stiff. It is hard to open up my right. elbow. Right, because it's, it's, it's been in that L or that 90 degrees it's, for so exactly long. Exactly right. So <clears> it's <throat> been in that position for too long, so it's difficult to straighten it. Right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean straightening it is bad, though. Right, of right? course. So if I bend my elbow, that's completely normal range of motion. If I extend my elbow, completely normal range of motion. But if I hold this for eight hours, it's going to hurt. Mm. If I hold this for eight hours, it's going to hurt. Right. So it all really depends on how long you're in any said position, mm-hmm. not the shape or the perception of that position alone. Okay. So I mean, I mean, I like that answer because I was asking more from a standpoint of health and people needing to move. So yes. you're saying movement is really what matters. It's not a matter of if you're sitting or not sitting, but it's the same position for long periods of time. Yes. And if you want to cut to the chase of that five minute answer I provided, uh, I don't care how long you sit. If you're taking frequent movement breaks during that entire duration. Okay. That's all that matters. What's so, frequent. Uh, what I would say, well, for most people they don't want to be interrupting their work every 10 minutes, right? That's not realistic. Right. Right. But, um, let's say the break we're discussing is getting up and walking around your office. Mm-hmm. Um, at least every hour, just get up, stand, move, walk around, go get some water, go to the bathroom, even if you have to or not. Go move somehow. Come back, okay. sit down. So maybe that's two minutes of walking. That could be enough to make a significant change in your life. Okay. But let's say you're like, okay, I can do that every hour. But man, my low back starts to get achy um, every 30 minutes though. But mm. I, I just don't have the time to do that. Well, you can still achieve frequent movements while you're sitting. So Mm. a simple example is I grab this water bottle I have right here. I throw that water bottle on my low back. Now I have a homemade lumbar support. So now my back is more of an extended position. Mm -hmm. So I could have it like this for 10 minutes. And then after 10 minutes, I could take the water bottle out and I can resume a slouched position. Right. So I'm getting movement in my low back, although not my whole body, Mm -hmm. I'm still getting frequent movement in my low back. So it'll get me to that hour mark. And now when I get up and I stand and I move my whole body... I'm feeling pretty darn good. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And I, and I like the long answer because I think it helps people listening. Um, so t- going off of that idea that sitting in one position. So my question to you was, is, is sitting the new smoking? You know, because mm-hmm. that's what people say. Yeah. Um, you said not necessarily. It's more about not sitting in one position for too long, trying to move, whether it's helping yourself with a water bottle, with the support, so on and so forth. What do you feel like? So... And this is for people who are listening who experience back pain. I know the percentage is high, but do you know right off the top of your head what percentage of people experience low back pain every single day? Uh, so almost 80% okay. of the population oh. will will experience low back pain at some point mm. in their lives. Solid. So, 80%. That's so kind of the top end. This episode will probably be the most popular episode <laughs> yeah. because this is obviously a huge, huge problem. So huge. if we think about that, right? there's common denominators that are causing that. It's not like 80% of people don't have a problem because, you know, there's 80% different case. Like every single one of those cases is not different, right? Mm -hmm. What is something common that you see that people are just doing that are causing their low back pain? Yeah. Um, I would build on top of the discussion that we just had. Okay. One sitting for long periods and not getting frequent movement. Um, what this transitioned to is a lot of flexion based 
injuries. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, flexion just means bending forward of the spine, forward motion of the spine, bending over to touch your toes, put on your sock shoes. That's flexion of the low back. Okay. So the reason why a lot of individuals hurt their low backs in flexion-based movements, we hear all the time, oh, I was deadlifting a little bit more than I should have. My back started around. I hurt my back. I bent over to uh, pick up a gallon of water. Bent mm. over, twisted, ah, hurt my back. It's very, very common, bending rotation or bending in general. So if I am sitting at hours a day in a flexed position, then if I go and I do more movements that's stressing my back further on that flexed position, mm. it's built up way too much flexion throughout the day. Mm. And this is just one example. So I built way, way, way too much. So I'm kind of just working upstream now at this point, maybe there's no way to predict, but something's going to happen. Right. Eventually. Eventually. Right. Yeah. A rubber band reaches its breaking point at some point. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for that example, if I'm taking frequent movement breaks and getting the opposite motion extension, or if I'm doing, um, just like maybe some simple Cobra movements throughout the day, Mm -hmm. something really simple like that to balance out the motion I'm getting my back, I'm going to have a lot more resiliency in, you know, multi-variable positions. Got it. That makes sense. So it's difficult to say, you know, why are so many people having low back issues now? It's, it's quite complex and quite broad. Mm-hmm. Um, pain is a multifactorial experience. Mm-hmm. There's, and I say experience because, um, a, one phrasing is that pain is not, uh, in input pain is an output. So if so I, pain isn't weakness leaving your body. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is not. As much as we would like to say that to our athletes that we're trying to crush on the field. No, I know. Um, it, it's, it's a perception and it can be, you know, caused by many, many different facets. Okay. So we used to think, Oh, the only reason you should experience pain is if there's biological damage or tissue damage. Like okay. I cut my arm, mm. I feel pain. Uh, one plus one equals two. We've learned much more recently than ever um, that it's not that simple. Okay. A very common model that still is kind of general is known as the biopsychosocial model. So we have our bio, biology, uh, a cut can cause pain. Sure. Mm-hmm. Psycho, psychology, the psychology of the individual, um, just where their mental state is as a whole, their mm-hmm. uh, mindfulness, all those things can negatively impact our experience with pain. Okay. And then social. So are we being taken away from our community? Let's mm. say someone, let, let's say I love CrossFit. Everyone loves CrossFit, right? Mm-hmm. They get the community, they get pushed, all these things. And then all of a sudden they hurt their back. Now they can't do CrossFit for who knows how long because Mm. they're not getting better. They're removed from their community. So they have two aspects of pain there. One, biological. They might have strained a muscle, might have strained a disc, whatever. But now two, their social influences. They're removed from their community. Now, because they don't have the community uh, that they had, the social interaction, now they're developing a psychological component of it because now they feel isolated. Now they're stuck in their thoughts. Now they're in this trap of stinking thinking mm. and they become a you know a prisoner in their own mind. Yeah. So now wow. they've developed three components of a pain model and it's not just as simple as, oh, you have a boo-boo. Got it. So as a whole, why are people experiencing more low back pain than mm-hmm. ever? My, the only true answer I could provide is because we're just not moving enough as a society. Got we it. don't eat well, we don't move enough, and we're all deconditioned because no one's pushing their bodies. Yeah. But to get more specific than that would be virtually impossible. Well, no, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with that answer. So I think that, uh, I think that's cool. I just think that hearing that from someone who's specifically in the field is super important, right? Because if, 
if I am sitting listening at home and I've just tried working at my computer for six hours today and four out of those six hours, my back was just screaming Mm -hmm. and all you say is get up and move. And I try that and it helps. I mean, that's huge. Right. And then I'm going to search you out and I'm going to learn more. And then how do I actually fix this issue? Um, so I, no, I think that's great. I think that's great. And it can be as simple as that as well. And before your next question, one note is that a lot of people think, they need some complex resolution to something. Mm. So people are looking for different, you know, massage gun devices, different inversion tables, traction tables, decompression. Oh, well, this guy said we got to do all this fancy work with many, many different musculoskeletal issues, you know, muscle, skeletal pain mm. type stuff, but especially low back. Sometimes the simplest advice can go so far. And that's really where the expertise comes into play, where you don't need to waste a lot of time or waste a lot of resources to get a very large outcome. Mm. Sometimes something as simple as set an alarm, move every hour, that's it. That alone could reduce someone's pain by 50%. 50%. Sure. Wow. Well, now I'm just throwing a number out there, but it's very real. I see what you're just saying. Incorporating, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just it, by so, changing something. Something so simple could yield to such a great outcome that in, makes sense. in that person's life. So since you said it, uh, because I was going to ask you about it later, but let's just talk about it now. All these devices, right? Um, you got massage guns, you got inversion tables, you have, um, the foam rollers, you have, I mean, there's a lot of things. And I, and I, I personally think some of those tools can be beneficial. Um, I don't know what your opinion is, but I think some of them can be beneficial. How many of them though are really just, in your opinion, how many of them are really just like masking the issue? Like we, we pick up these things and we start using them and obviously it, you know, like the gun, right? Um, that gun can be very deceiving because in the moment you're like, wow, this feels really good. Yeah. And then 15 minutes later, it's, oh, well, it feels the same as that it did. Yeah. Right. So how many of the products that are out there that are being pushed as solutions, quote unquote, are really just like a bandaid or a mask mm-hmm. that's not really helping us at all? It's probably exacerbating the issue. Yeah. 100% of them. All of them. Without a doubt. Okay. And here's why. Um, I have low back pain. Mm-hmm. I go and I get some painkillers for it. All right. Well, we all know at this point in time that that's temporary. It's just masking pain. Very simple. Mm -hmm. Instead, I go and I get a massage gun and that gives me some temporary relief in my low back. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a um, drug free way to get some temporary pain relief, Mm -hmm. which is a great alternative, but you know, by all means. Yeah. I mean, you're you're getting away from the, you're you're getting away away from from the the pharmaceuticals. So that's a plus. (laughs) So fantastic. But if you look at it at the component of temporary relief but no real solution, it's still just another drug in a sense. Mm. So there are many, many different things that can be helpful in certain situations. So 100% of those devices are not a long-term solution. But any one of them could be beneficial in certain circumstances. Got so it. let's take the massage gun, for example. Okay. Um, personally, I would not waste my money on a massage gun, but there's different variables we have to break down. A lot of people, massage feels good. So mm-hmm. that could give them a good, you know, mental release, a good reprieve from that pain temporarily. Mm-hmm. That alone could give them a little bit of a boost to go out and move, do something. And the result of them feeling more confident and, you know what, I'm, I'm going to feel good for five minutes. Mm-hmm. So for these five minutes, I'm going to walk. The result of that could be the solution, getting them moving more. Got it. But if you're just laying on your couch, 
massage gunning your low back, throwing it to the, it's side. the same thing as popping a pill, but just a drug free approach. Right. So it's not changing someone's movement. It's not changing someone's habits. Mm-hmm. It's not changing someone's understanding about their low back or about their pain. Got it. So it's about the application. So let's talk about uh, one other thing while we're on that thought process. So the arch in your back. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard different things, but in general, I think that as, as a general population, it's easy for us to buy into like, oh, well, you're losing your arch or your arch is gone and that's mm-hmm. what the problem is. And what, what's your take or opinion on that? Is Is that arch important? And is there things that we can do on a daily basis to make sure that we keep it and it doesn't just completely go flat? Yeah. Uh, great question. So what's so great about um, us as humans is that we're all different. Right? Oh, of course. So uh, your body is shaped differently. Mine, uh, we're all shaped differently. We all have different uh, hair, colors of eyes, uh, lengths of our arms, whatever. Mm. But even more so, if you were to slice my body in half, Mm-hmm. And compare the right side of my body to the left side of my body. I wouldn't even match myself. Okay. Okay. So that being said, the same thing applies to the structure of our body and the structure of our spine. Mm. It's no different. Some people are going to have really curvy spines, some really straight spines, some, you know, bended forward, some arched back. It's all normal variants. Interesting. And I know that this might be mind blowing for some of the listeners because many, many spine providers look for something to attach that person's pain to. Oh, the the reason why you have pain is because you don't have enough curve in your back and you need mm. more curve. Well, the evidence doesn't support that. Um, the reason for your low back is because uh, your hips are uneven. Well, the evidence doesn't support that. Mm. This is a very one plus one equals two situation right. where we know that pain is about more movement and many different factors of that person's environment. Mm-hmm. We can't just blame one thing. It, it just doesn't work right, that way. Right, so right. A, lo- a lot of times I hear that all the time. Oh, I was, tur- I was told I have too much curve or too little curve. Um, those are just simply not applicable to is, any real low back cases. Is there any, and I'll tell you, I, I tend to believe this only because I believe that our bodies could function in this way. But in your opinion, um, People get like pinched nerves and mm-hmm. pinch, you know, and, and obviously that's, uh, I had a pinched nerve for a long time and it caused lots of pain. But, um, a conversation that I had with somebody in the past, they said, well, a pinched nerve time, it's time it's causing pain is actually, it's caused all this other damage. Do you believe, or in your professional opinion, the, the nerves are the things that come off of our spine, right? And go to mm-hmm. our organs and things like that. Are they truly affected in a negative way if we have pinches, quote unquote, or it may, that might not even be a thing, um, of those nerves throughout our spine? Does that question make sense? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And if it doesn't, just interrupt me and rephrase okay. it. Um, so I want to make sure that you're not asking if we will get pinched nerves as a result of like curves in our spine. You're not asking. No, that I'm saying if, if there, there is one, be, yes. can it actually affect your heart or your organs or oh, the organs? Oh, yeah. you're talking With, about without us knowing. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so here's the thing. There's this old, I think it's called the Merrick chart. Man, I, sh- I should have looked this up beforehand. If I'd known the question, I would. <laughs> I think it's called the Merrick chart. Um, someone might have to fact check me on That's that. Fine. But there's an old chart that used okay. to be in a lot of chiropractic offices, mm-hmm. and it would show the whole spine and show all these different nerves going to different organs and regions of the body. Yep. Now, based on anatomy, 
Is that true? Do nerves go to organs? Well, yes. Nerves innervate every single area of our body. Of course. But if I look at someone's x-ray and I'm like, oh, look at this vertebra. It's rotated. And none of that's possible. I'm being facetious here. Okay. Um, but I didn't even know you were being facetious. So somebody listening probably. I am. So I'm I'm referring to kind of an old school mentality. Okay. First thing, let me take an x-ray. Oh, your bones are out of place. That's very old school model. I do not do that. Okay. (laughs) Many people shouldn't. But anyway, (laughs) um, let's say we identify, okay, I I believe this person has um, an issue in their mid back. Mm -hmm. Oh, well that goes to their liver or goes to this or whatever. And that's the reason for all of your digestive problems. Well, that's not really supported by the evidence, but Sometimes we can't support everything that we do. Uh, So what I would say is if someone has, let's say, a digestive issue, mm -hmm. okay, let's just say... That's the biggest one that I'm I'm thinking in the moment anyway, so that's good. Let's say digestive issues, uh, and they have a low back problem simultaneously. Um, Is it possible that the low back could be contributing to these digestive issues? It's not likely, but it's possible. It's not as simple as like, oh, low back nerve goes to stomach ouchie. Right. right. <laughs> you know, it's not that simple, That's awesome. but what is slightly frustratingly awesome is that sometimes manipulation of the spine, uh, adjustments are, mm-hmm. they're commonly referred to can have a very systemic effect on many different areas. Interesting. And this can't really be explained. So, and I've even had this happen with me. Some people report their, their vision is getting better mm-hmm. after starting to get regular adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, their breathing gets better. Asthma patients, very, very common. Individuals with asthma will notice, you know, better lung capacity or breathing after getting their, their mid spine or their T spine manipulated. Um, these are very common things that we hear, mm-hmm. but can we say, Oh, well, yeah, duh. It's because that nerve goes directly to there. Not really. Yeah. So, um, does it have the potential to help digestive mm. issues? It certainly has the potential, but I would never immediately say, Oh, that wouldn't be your first go to. That would not be my first yeah, go to. That makes it's sense. It's not supported. Um, it's not as common as, uh, potentially even the other way around. Sometimes digestive issues, uh, can actually cause widespread systemic pain in other places that is unexplained. And that due to inflammation be, and all it, that. Exactly yeah. right. So I, <laughs> I've had a few patients with low back issues where um, we were working through some things and even I started to be like, hey, this is starting to not follow a typical pattern. Mm-hmm. This is kind of unexplained. There's spikes and uh, you know reprieve at, at times that don't really make sense. This is confusing. And what I'll do is I'll refer them to a colleague of mine who does functional medicine where he will look at their blood work who go over digestive related issues, all this stuff. And then we will determine, all right, this actually wasn't a low back issue because of, you know, poor movement or strength or anything like that. This is a low back issue because it's a more of a systemic, uh, functional medicine based wow. approach where we need to improve these markers in your blood or these markers in your, you know, you know, whatever, whatever they do. I'm yeah. not an expert there. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, their low back starts getting better or their shoulder starts getting better or their knee starts getting better. That's why. So those are unique scenarios, but functional medicine field is becoming very, very popular yeah, for it, all the right reasons. Yeah, it is. And I agree. Um, I, I think unfortunately that, uh, the healthcare system fails people most More often than every time. Um, but with that thought process, let, let's touch on real quick. So how important is, overall like spine health in general right yeah. so let's say that you don't have any pain mm-hmm. um my, my opinion and my belief is i want to try to take care of my entire body yeah. right mm-hmm. um but to someone who doesn't have any pain should they even be thinking about taking care of their 
spine health or is it just like we just like they just go about their life and if something comes up then they you see what i mean like that's how most of us function it's like yes well i don't have a problem so i'm not gonna you know i'm not even gonna look into it yes well uh, we know off the bat i'll give you a very uh upfront answer where we know that if we do preventative based care on our bodies, prehab, mm-hmm. you know, uh, strengthening things, mobilizing things before an injury occurs, we know in the long run that that actually reduces healthcare costs quite significantly mm. uh, within the whole system and within ourselves. Obviously, the burden is reduced. So purely for financial reasons, it is better to seek whether it's you know with yourself or your single provider, yeah. uh, prehab based care, preventative based care that is supported to reduce healthcare costs in that regard. Now. If I'm walking around and I don't have any spine issues, um, I would never tell someone, oh my gosh, you better start doing some spine prehab. Otherwise, something's going to happen soon mm-hmm. because that's what we would refer to as scare tactics. Of course. Fear mongering type things. Mm-hmm. Maybe, oh, you better come see me. Otherwise, something's going to happen. Right. right. So there's, there's a line. Um, would I advise someone, hey, if you're not struggling with something, there's an 80% chance you are in your lifetime. You better start crack, get cracking on it now, at least with something, you know, very simple, maybe a few simple mobility movements that you mm-hmm. add to your morning routine or at the end of your workout, you just do a little bit of extra stretching than you might not normally do. Got it. That could go a very, very long way in regards to preventing mm-hmm. any additional or um, further low back issues that they might experience in the future. But I would not make a hard, fast statement of saying, if you don't have pain, you better start doing something now. Otherwise, something's bad going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's almost true. Injury is almost impossible to predict. Yeah, yeah but yeah. we do know that prehab is important. Of course, and so you posted some. It was probably a month or so ago now, but I think it was ninety some percent of people who are like considering back surgery don't even need back surgery. Something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what it was. Are you referring to the the injection post? Maybe, maybe it was. Maybe it was like getting a spinal one. injection versus like they could do the exercises, be functional, whatever, and relieve it that way or improve it that way. I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if you use the word fix, but yeah. Um, well, I use, I use the, you know, word fix because it's simple and comprehensible, but realistically, if I'm talking with my colleagues, we don't like to use the word fix. Right, right. (laughs) That's part of my brand. (laughs) But anyway, uh, so two different questions. Let me hit on the surgery and then injections one. Um, generally speaking, a lot of surgeries can be prevented. A lot of surgeries should be avoided. There's a reason that there is a condition called failed low back surgery syndrome. If there's a syndrome, syndrome after it, oh my gosh. it's common. I can't. <laughs> so some studies have reported up to almost 40% of failure rate of certain surgeries. Oh, that's, all, that's horrible. Now, you're talking about something that, of course, we're getting more and more minimally invasive. Mm-hmm. But still, anytime even going under for a simple procedure, there's risks associated yeah. with that. And what we find is if someone does not go through a, a thorough assessment process and mm-hmm. they get pushed to surgery quicker than they should have, which is 99.9% of people. Yeah. I mean, you go to a surgeon and get surgery. Yeah, like most, most of the time, yeah. most of yeah. the time. Well, I mean, so I don't think people, sorry, I don't think people understand that if you go to a surgeon first before maybe consulting someone like you or another movement specialist, their job is to cut you like that's their job they're not going to necessarily recommend go check out so-and-so so Mm -hmm. So, yeah yeah. we have to be more 
proactive and looking for other options. Absolutely. And and that's, you know, part of my mission is to get that education out there to inspire people to do so. Right. right. Now on that point, I have met a few surgeons who are on our same camp. Hey, you don't want to see me first, go see someone else. But the best providers in any profession ever, they're few and far between, mm-hmm. right? So it's hard to find yeah. those guys. So the chances of them walking into someone's office and being told they need surgery right away after taking an MRI and seeing a disc herniation is quite high. Mm-hmm. Now, anyway, if someone gets a surgery and that one happens to fail, and then the only route they know is to get an additional surgery, with every additional surgery someone gets on the lower back, their chances of a positive outcome significantly reduce every single time. Really? So here's a fallacy. Some people think, oh, my first surgery didn't go so well. We're just we're gonna do a second one to to you know resolve it or whatever. Their chances of feeling better after the second one are lower than after the first one. But wow. you know. You know about Ronnie Coleman. I was like, literally just about to ask Ronnie you. Ronnie Coleman. No, I was literally like, okay, my yep. next question, I'm going to ask him. Yep. For those of you who don't know, um, <laughs> Ronnie Coleman was a professional bodybuilder, probably one of the best in the world. Um, but he's had, what, eight, nine back surgeries yes. now? I think he's almost in the teens. Yeah. So I was literally going to say, so what's your opinion on that then? Should he have... Yeah. I mean, he obviously was squatting like 900 pounds, like yeah. crazy stuff on his back. But... Yeah. In that situation, like he's just going to continue progressively getting worse then, right? So, you know, once you get past maybe the third surgery, yeah, you're, um, you're essentially, I hate to phrase it this way, but you're almost doomed at that point. And he even says in his podcast, you might've caught this. He was, or maybe it was a different interview. He was asked, so what do you think started this? Where do you think this basically rapid decline of your health stemming from your low back what do you think triggered it? And he actually said the first surgery he thinks is the reason for it. Wow. So I didn't catch that. Now for everyone listening, I'm purely speaking on hypotheticals. Uh, Right. And what you heard. Yeah. Is there a chance that when he started having these issues, he didn't see the best provider initially and was pushed to surgery too quickly. And that if he had seen someone different off Mm -hmm. the bat and was able to get the right plan in place for him to resolve it conservatively, that he could still be walking normally Mm -hmm. today. Sure. There's a chance. Yeah. And that's, what's very frustrating about it is you see individuals like that who are pushed towards invasive procedures so quickly. There's no turning back once you go that far. Well, it's crazy because I think people look at, people like him and think, Oh, well, that'll never happen to him. I mean, cause yeah. he's, he's got the access to the best in the world. He's got yeah. the access to, and here he is like what, barely 60 probably. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's pushing himself, but I wouldn't want to be in that position at 60 years old. <laughs> nope. Not one bit. So now in regards to the quick comment you had about, let's say injections. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Injections, another big band-aid. It can, can be quite an expensive band-aid too. I had mm. a client from, I think he was in Georgia or Oklahoma, one of the two. I have clients all over, I forget. <laughs> but um, he uh, was getting ready to enroll in my program. And uh, he was talking to one of his docs. like, oh, well, you should just do an injection first. It's covered by your insurance anyway. And he was he was talking to him. Okay, well, I'll try this. And if this doesn't work, then I'll, I'll go see Grant. So he's at the office. He's confirming with the nurse. Hey, so this injection has been covered, right? Yeah, it's going to be covered. Talks to the doc as he's getting ready to do the injection. Hey, this is covered, right? Yeah, it's going to be covered. All good. $4,000 out of pocket. Uh, bills arrive uh, over the following three months. Guess what? It wasn't covered by insurance. Oh, and my gosh. He was under the impression that he had good insurance. Now, 
the point I'm trying to make here is not that, you know, you shouldn't spend any money on yourself. If that 4,000 injection were to work and last for the rest of his life, then money well spent. But he had relief for one day and then applied to my program the day after that. And that's Jeez, the story man. that I hear most often. Now, a very interesting study that was just published in 2020, I believe early 2020, I'm trying to remember here, um, actually found that injections have the potential to increase risk of surgery. And that about the Yikes. statistic you brought up, I believe it was 90 something percent. I, I don't, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but right. 90, 90 something percent. I think it was 97 actually, maybe 97. It was 97. 97. Uh, you know, my facts <laughs> better than I do. Well, no, I was just so shocked by it. You yeah. know, like things yeah, you remember, I'm like, brain. whoa. <laughs> yeah. So 97% of majority of low back issues can be resolved without surgery. With That's what it was. Conservative yep. care. That's and what yet, it was. The 3% might require interventions. But of those in those populations that get on painkillers, that get uh, or receive injections, mm -hmm. their chances of needing surgery increases because of the negative impact it has on their health wow. and also their steps in the healthcare system. Because the way that this normally goes is, let's say I hurt my low back. First thing I do is go to the, go to the ER. First thing, well, ER has no idea how to manage low back issues. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I had a client that went there and they literally told them, yeah, we don't know what to do with low back issues. Like, here's some Vicodin. Get out of here. Oh my gosh. It happens all the time. Oh so my gosh. Anyway, the first thing, okay, M MRI, first thing they're going to do. Oh, there's something there. Well, the first thing they're going to do is give you some medications, usually um, prednisone, uh, um, uh, high potency, like steroid to calm things yeah. down. Yeah. Right? And if that doesn't work, okay, well, then we need the next step, which is an injection. So let's do an injection. Well, those, they hardly ever work. Yeah. Or they calm it down for a few days or a week or so, and that goes away. Then the injection fails. Well, then either there's one or two steps. All right, let's try another injection. Right. And then that fails again. And then, oh, well, what's left? Surgery. Yeah. And that's often the, the, because they're in that system that people go through because they're yeah. in that system. And that, that's all majority of those systems know to do. Start with drugs, doesn't work, then go more invasive. Injections mm -hmm. doesn't work, go more invasive surgery. Mm -hmm. And that's the steps that majority of people fall through. Right. Um, and it often does not lead to success and often can lead to very, very, very high expenses, uh, which once again, if you get your money's worth and then it's worth it, but usually the value is not there and we want high value care. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree hundred percent. It's very frustrating. Um, <laughs> the healthcare system, but, um, I do want to shift for a few minutes though, and just ask you some, um, questions that aren't necessarily related to back and, you know, your profession more about your journey into entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and, and what that's been like. And, um, you know, obviously probably touching on 2020, I think you, I think you've said to me that because you're all virtual, it hasn't really affected you a ton. Um, but did you at some point work under another doctor or start there? Or did you always know I'm going to go in, I'm going to do my own thing. It's going to be rehab fix or what was kind of the progression of when you came out of school to, to where you're at now? So, Backtrack a little bit. When I was halfway through school, I decided to change my personal Instagram account to a brand. And I came up okay. with Rehab Fix at that time. So I started building Rehab Fix, which for those of you listening is um, my Instagram. It started as my Instagram, but now it's just a social media platform. Rehab Fix is me, but it is an online low back program um, that is international and I have clients all over the world. That's awesome. But um, 
So I started posting rehab videos, movement-based educational videos halfway through school, and I just kept posting more and more and more. Then eventually I made a goal, okay, I'm going to post every single day for a year straight. High-quality content that takes a lot of effort. It does. Um, and you know, I got to 100,000 followers within a year of doing that, and That's I was awesome. able to reach that marker before I even graduated. Wow. So That's awesome. In regards to, did I always know I was going to do my own thing or follow entrepreneurship? Um no, I actually, the last thing on my mind was going out on my own right, really? right out of school. Yeah. And wow. that was even up to probably three months before graduation. Um, I was planning on working under a doc, most likely trying mm. to, um, you know, establish myself first. Yeah. Uh, all these false notions that I had in my head. Of course. Back now. We all do. Yeah. Because, you know, entrepreneurship is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's, it is uncomfortable. And I was just listening to a friend of mine that does a lot of entrepreneurship stuff the other day, uh, where pushing yourself out of your comfort zone is a skill. And it's mm. something that you can become better at, but it takes practice. Mm-hmm. So for me, he was kind of the, the transitionary period here. I was approaching the end of my schooling. I was, um, uh, doing my clinical rotations. I was at a particular practice here in Florida and I was getting geared up to, you know, sign on with them, sign a contract, see patients there. And, um, as I, focused more and more on rehab fix on my online business. Mm-hmm. I wasn't making any money from it yet at that time. Right. Right. Uh, I just slowly started to learn more about the potential there and what I had at my disposal that I wasn't totally leveraging yet or really knew how to use. Mm-hmm. So it all started with just a few, uh, you know, sales, so to speak. I hate to use that term, but we all, we <laughs> everybody all does, you, but... you, have, you have to make money, right? So, That's right. Um, I had initially launched an automated, um, online program where I was not involved. No one was speaking with me one-on-one. It was just a pre-made program. Hey, do this for your low back. I started, um, with something very, very simple. And so I invested to a a local videographer. It was very Mm -hmm. good. He did all the editing for me and we spent a full day and I filmed a six month long program to just guide people through it. Mm -hmm. So I created a website, launched on my website, made a few sales. It was exhilarating. I got some really great feedback. People were emailing me about how it was changing their lives. It's really, really great. Um, but I didn't really see still where that could go. Right. So as I continued to vamp that up, as I started to see at that time, clients, not patients, but clients in person Mm -hmm. that were in Florida that wanted to see me, but I didn't have my license yet. And this is, if anyone listening is friends with anyone in in a PT program or DC program, this is, this advice right here is worth a hundred thousand dollars. So listen up. Um, we're under the impression that, oh, if you don't have your license, you can't practice, which is true, which Mm -hmm. is 100% true, but I'm in the movement space. And if someone wants to come see me, as long as I don't do anything that requires my doctorate license, you know, I can personally train someone. Wow. So basically what I Smart. learned that I could do is people started reaching out to me from Florida because I have a large social media following saying, Hey, I see that you're in Tampa now. I want to come, you know, cause they followed me from St. Louis. Right? Yeah. Uh, I want to come see you for this, this and this. And I was turning people away. I was saying, Hey, I can't, but if you uh, schedule an appointment with this office in four months, then you can come see me. Oh my know, gosh. That sort of thing. <laughs> um, and I, I was turning people away. And then I thought to myself, and I don't, I don't remember how this, dawned on me, but I thought to myself, wait, why don't I just contact a gym, try to rent out some space. Mm -hmm. I have my own portable table. I'll bring my portable table in. I won't do any, and I'm going to emphasize this, no No, procedures that need a license. Absolutely. Because I can do corrective exercise with people because I have my CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. I had a training certification. So I started to do that. So I 
I hunted, I found a gym, I rented out some space. This is before I even graduated and people started seeing me in person. And so this was my trial run. So I thought, hey, let me see if I can get something off the ground and running because yeah. I have nothing to lose. Right. I haven't graduated yet. I don't have all these bills coming in. I don't still right. loans Absolutely. yet. I can give this a shot to see if I can take that leap. Well, started to build. So within about two months of graduation, I was starting to get more and more and more. And by the, the day that I graduated, I think I was averaging like 23 or 24 client visits per week. Wow. At that point already. That's awesome. So walking into my first day of practice, I had like 25 people on That's the, awesome. the schedule. So going through that building process, as soon as I started to see an increase in local and online attention, mm-hmm. I, I realized right away, I was like, okay, I cannot work for somebody else. Yeah. This yeah. is not. And once you get addicted to that, it's like, yes. it's almost impossible to go back. Impossible. It <laughs> doesn't matter how hard it gets. It's literally impossible. Yes. Impossible. <laughs> so, um, I started out on my own. I just continued renting space out of the gym. I was seeing patients locally. Things were going great. I was doing um, some workshops locally, really trying to build that business. And because I was starting to get, you know, more busy locally, I actually started to put the online portion of my business kind of on the back burner. Mm. I had that automated program that's, that required no maintenance for me. Mm. Um, you know, I would still consistently make videos, but I wasn't really pushing, so mm. to speak. So I was almost, I was trying to balance both of them. I wasn't really doing any one of them a hundred percent, but I started to give, you know, locally maybe 70%, 80% of my attention and online was kind of just there. Mm-hmm. Well, then COVID happened, right? So although I'm, you know, deemed an essential, you know, worker and essential right. provider and I could stay open, still, you know, many people were fearful, didn't want to come in. And that's totally fine. That's right. totally fine. Right. Um, and so I went from, you know, 25 visits a week to three, you know, wow. four. That basically it. Um, and a lot of people had it much worse, you know, so I'm grateful for those that still did come to see me. But instead of scrambling in regards to, all right, well, I'm going to put more marketing into local practice to let people know you can still come see me, which is mm-hmm. what a lot of offices did, which is understandable. Cause yeah. I mean, keep, you know, and that's most of their, I mean, for them, it's most of their it, Exactly Right. Yeah. So for me, I had the option to, all right, let's start to go into advertising. Let's work my butt off to try to get whatever local business I can back. Or do I want to completely shift gears, completely desert local and put all my marbles in the online basket while I can't do much locally? And that's the avenue that I chose. So awesome. I started pushing, pushing everything into online. I developed a more one-on-one, uh, you know, training program or coaching program rather for low mm-hmm. back issues. So now instead of some automated program, it is, you know, one-on-one for six months straight, 24 seven communication. People can text me whenever they want. And, you know, I've clients in Serbia, Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand, uh, Egypt, a lot in the UK, Canada, um, Japan, Taiwan, uh, that's all, awesome. all over at this wow. point. That's awesome. And it has given me the opportunity to reach so many more people mm-hmm. that did not have access to local care that was adequate. Yeah. So if they sense. tried, you know, I've talked to people who try, oh, five, six chiropractors. I've seen eight physical therapists. I've seen three different surgeons. No one here can help me. Well, I can see anyone anywhere. Yeah. And now I have the opportunity to reach out to these people that feel stuck and that feel like they're in a dead end and they don't know where to go. And we're able to make a, a difference in their life. And not only 
who make a difference, but we can prove to them that they did it on their own. They just needed a little bit of guidance mm. and a push to do that. Yeah. And that's what's so special about online work with this fashion because once again, I'm a chiropractor. Right. I'm not adjusting people online, obviously. Right. Yeah. But what I'm showing people might be available someday. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But what we're showing people is that they don't need a um, a pill. They don't mm. need someone to do a procedure for them to provide mm-hmm. temporary leave to get on with their day. We're showing people that you can fix yourself. You just need a proper plan. You just need the right guidance. You just need the right coaching. And by the end of the six months, you will not only have fixed yourself 100% without anybody touching you, but you're going to know how you did it. You're going to know the movements that you need to keep in your routine to keep it that way. And if anything happens in the future, you know how to address it and you're not going to panic and you're not going to be sucked into this healthcare system where people are just on this gerbil wheel going round and round and round and, you know, just getting drained in more ways than one. That's what's so amazing about it. No, that's awesome. We can reach so many people in such an effective fashion. I love it. You can just tell your energy is like, you're like, oh, I, I love it. I <laughs> love this. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I love it. And, um, you know, a lot of my colleagues sometimes will ask, hey, Grant, we know you're like, and to, to, to be clear, I do still see some patients in person. Yeah, of course. I see maybe two a week. Mm-hmm. And these are just people who, um, they, they need the hands on. They just, they just want the hands on mm-hmm. and like it. Yeah. Um, but I even have, client online clients locally that are in my online program. So I have people in Tampa and St. Pete and Brandon in um oh gosh, what's the, I was Wesley Chapel. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Wesley yeah, yeah. Chapel. Yeah. Uh that, you know, they're technically local, but I don't see them in person. Yeah. They're in my online program. They'd rather do we it. can get results without me right. being there. Yeah. But anyway, a lot of my colleagues are like, hey, you know, you, you went to school for three and a half years. I invested a lot of money in different seminars, got really good at manual therapy. I was, I was good with my hands. I'm good with all those things. I'm like, you're, you know, you're not doing any of this anymore. Do you feel as like satisfied with your work? And I'm like, man, I feel more satisfied. I don't get my satisfaction from putting my hands on someone. I get satisfaction from being the person who figured it out yeah. and who got them better. Yeah, and absolutely. Who's getting photos of them returning to their sport, returning to their family, going on vacation without yeah. debilitating low back issues. That's the reward. Yeah, absolutely. Not being able to just adjust someone. So I'm like, you don't believe the kind of reward that I'm getting, <laughs> getting pictures all over the world yeah. from people who have their lives back. That's awesome, that is, dude. Oh my gosh. There's, one guy that comes to mind, his name's, his name's Jason. He might be listening to this. Uh, he's in the UK from Scotland and, um, his low back issues was taking away, uh, his career as a firefighter. Oh, wow. And in his region, the demand for firefighters is very, very high. And so when you get put on like the medical leave list or whatever, it's almost like a three strikes or out system. Mm. So he was seeing local physical therapists. And what I've learned also through working internationally is that, we all think, oh, we need universal healthcare, free healthcare, all oh, so much better. Our healthcare is so expensive, which it is, not denying that. Mm-hmm. But what I've learned is that universal healthcare is not a solution either because I have more clients in socialized healthcare systems than not. Really? Yes. Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me, I guess, but. <laughs> yeah, but it might for others out there. Yeah. So anyway, he wasn't getting the right care. And because everything was so delayed, he had to, you know, have a physical test to try to get, you know, re back, mm-hmm. you know, reenlisted on the force. And, you know, he failed that first one. And then he went another six months or so and failed the second one. And he only has one more test left until he's booted and someone takes his place. Wow. So he contacted me. How did he find you? On uh, Instagram. Rehab so, so he was, he was already following Instagram. you or yep. just, okay. Yeah. Majority, right, cool. majority of my clients, probably 99% of them are following me on Instagram. No, that's awesome. Um, that's good. Following along. Yeah. So he does, he decides, Hey, I, I got to do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. So we go through an assessment. He had really, really bad sciatica. We figure out what's going on. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I think there's a very, very high chance that 
you're going to be in a good place. And for him, like he couldn't even walk a few minutes without getting static all the way down his leg and all this. Well, within about three to four months, he started sending me pictures after hiking to these mountains in his region. No way. Sending me pictures with his dog. He's back on hikes again. And now his PT test is January 18th. So just a couple weeks from now. So he hasn't even done it yet. He hasn't done it. Ah! Yet. That's the, that, that's the, that's the factor. And now things have been a little bit difficult because gyms have been shut down. Yeah, so he's of been course. able to totally push himself. But I asked him, we stay in touch. He's graduated at this point. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, hey man, like, how do you feel? And he's like, I'm ready to smash it. So that's awesome. I'm telling you what, when I when I get that message, I'm saying when because I'm you gonna better, have better put that out but there. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he got he got his position back. He's back on the force. He's working full time again. Like, oh yeah, nothing no, that, is better than that's this. gonna be awesome. And the fact that it's practically a world away. Yes, that's is, so cool. It's so special, man. And it's just it's just so gratifying to to have this this impact it's huge so where do uh, obviously instagram mm-hmm. people find you on instagram but where can people find you um is instagram the best place do you have a website uh, what you know i mean where if if someone was like hey i really want to learn or i really want to at least observe what this guy is doing what he's mm-hmm. putting out what's the best place for them to go Instagram is the best platform okay. where they can find me as, you know, rehab fix. And the reason why is because people need to follow for a while before they're really committed and really ready to do something. Mm-hmm. So I get some people that just, you know, stumble across me on Google or stumble across me on Facebook and um, they reach out and they're like, Hey, I'm ready to do something. And sometimes they are, but very, very rarely. Mm-hmm. What I encourage most people to do is to realize that like if someone were to come to me for help, I take this very, very seriously. And the way we work is very intimate. Like I take this seriously. I need them to take it seriously. Mm. This isn't some, Oh, do this little cheap thing, little cheap fix. Yeah. No, this it's very, very involved. It's a high commitment on both ends. So what's best is for most individuals to follow along with my stories, my posts to truly learn about, you know, what I do, what they can do, mm-hmm. what they can accomplish on their own, how they can change their lives. And Hey, sometimes my posts alone, We'll give people the tools to fix themselves. That's great. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, if they're scrambling and taking too many guesses on my page and they just can't figure out what, what works, well, that's where the coaching comes into play. But what would, what would be best is to just follow the Instagram, look at the posts, apply the posts, read them, understand them, apply them into their own lives and see what something so simple can yeah. change yeah. and then figure out what you're going to do from there. I, I love that you gave that as advice because I don't think that people understand you know, we're all pushed to just put out content and put out content and put out content. But I don't think that people understand that if they actually do the content, like just follow the videos mm-hmm. that you're putting out, they work. Yep. Right. I think that people think that it's just like a lot of times I think people in the front end think, Oh, that's just a ploy. Like, you know, that might work for somebody else, but it's not gonna work for me. Um, and I know your videos work because I've done a few of them myself, like with random stuff. I'll, I'll be like, literally having an issue and you'll post a video like a week later. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to try that now. And it works every time. So I think that that's great advice. Um, you know, instead of just hey, come and do the program and sign up, like, no, like see how you can help yourself first with what I've already put out there. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And it's a, and like I said, it's a great way to stratify individuals Mm -hmm. to where like, Hey, you know, if, if you want to come to me first, if you want to skip through trying all these things on your own, then by all means, um, you know, truly 
you know, try the content first, apply it, see where you get with that. And you'll know by the end of that, end of that, if you're that, if you're, if you're tr- truly ready to commit to something, mm-hmm. because people are ready to get better. And that's a post that I just made today, actually, where, um, some people aren't ready to get better. Right. And they're looking for options, which is fine, but they're still not ready to get better. Just right. like people with their fitness goals. Some people aren't ready to make that change and they need to be truly ready for that. And I want individuals who are you know, ready, who have put in some effort on their own, sure, and are ready to pull that trigger and ready to really change their lives and do something serious. I love That's it. where I want them to be. I love it. Well, dude, this was awesome. Thank you for coming in and doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that you feel like people should know? Um, yeah. Look out for fear-mongering, scare-tactic messages out there. So okay. something that I've become very sick of is Excellent. Uh, I love this. <laughs> so many providers tell people what's wrong with them instead of what's right with them. Mm. Our words matter. Our words are so important. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even joking. I think sometimes I will get people better when everyone else has failed them. Sometimes not because my plan is perfect and because I was, you know, had the right movement and just the right thing. Sometimes that's the case, sure. But I think sometimes it's purely because I've inspired them and motivated mm. them and spoke healing into them because I was the only person to ever encourage them mm-hmm. to move again, to exercise again, to play with their kids again. It's astonishing what some people are told. I And this is all over the world. All over the world, I've spoken with clients that were told to quit their jobs, to change careers. One person was told to just be bedridden for the next six years until retirement. Not, oh my not gosh. Lying. Not, li- not lying. People have been told to just, just lay down. There's nothing you can do. Just, you just need to rest wow. for the next six years. So many people are told, Oh, look, look at this extra. Here's what's wrong. Here's what's wrong. We see this. We see this. We see this. Why are they not told? Hey, you know what? This x-ray doesn't look that bad. There's still a lot that you can do. Let's focus on what you can do and let's structure some things that you can do in your own home. Right. It doesn't have to be anything intense. Let's figure out what you can do. Right. So simple. But people's course of their lives will change with their health if they're given the wrong message from the start. So here's an example. I had a client, online client. Um, he's in Florida. I, for, mm-hmm. I forget where he's at exactly, but he's, he's in Florida. I think he was like three or four hours away in my online program. Mm-hmm. Um, was really struggling. His, you know, sadica and his low back was taking him away from his work. He was starting to lose funds, uh, payments on, you know, house and everything were getting tighter. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I need to fix this so I can work and I can make a living. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, if you're willing to invest even more on the trust that this is going to return, then let's do this. And right. we had a really, really good assessment. We got results during the assessment. Um, and that's, that's the trajectory that I want to go through with most people. We usually get results during the very first meeting so mm-hmm. that we know that the program is going to work. I don't mess with anyone's time or money. But anyway, this client, fantastic. Three months in, oh my gosh, I, you know, I can't believe where I'm at. I'm able to do this again. I'm picking up more shifts at work. That's like, why this, this is incredible. And then what happened was this. He got in a car wreck. Okay. <sighs> oh no. F- flared up his flared up his low back, which is okay, understandable. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not bulletproof yet. Of Three course. months in, right? Still a little bit fresh in the recovery path. But um flared up his low back a little bit. And immediately he had an attorney friend that said, okay, so here's what you need to do. You need to go see this chiropractor. We work together. It turns into a, you know, a, a PI oh, case. Oh no. And, you know, especially in Florida, personal injury cases oh, become no. nasty and corrupt. So here's what happened. He was told, oh my gosh, well, if you feel anything in your back, you need to go right away because this other driver, like someone was messing with their insurance and you need to make sure you do this and cover all your bases. So, which is fine. Cover your bases. Sure. Um, so we went to see this clinic. 
you know, the first thing they did, they didn't even assess them. All right, we're gonna do an X-ray and MRI. So they're looking for they're looking for something to blame. Yeah. yeah. Right. We already knew that he had a disc herniation. We've known that for years. But just because something is on an image doesn't mean it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of people get sucked into is a lot of still the current healthcare system. If they see something on your picture, they blame it. But large majority of individuals with findings, they're asymptomatic. You know, individuals aged 40 plus, 50% of them have an asymptomatic disc bulge or disc herniation on MRI. Mm-hmm. They don't even know it because it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he gets this MRI, has a disc herniation. Okay. We, we all know that. And this doc, just starts, this is the worst I've ever seen. This is terrible. I'm surprised oh. you can even walk. Oh my you, God. You, you want to reconsider your job. This, you're definitely going to need surgery. We're going to have to start getting injections going right away. Freaks him out. This grown man left the office crying, called his dad, thought he was going to have to file disability. And from there on for the next three months, I lost contact with him. Everything crumbled and he was in a terrible spot. Terrible spot. Finally, I was able to get him to reach back out to me and he was, you know, disappointed and he was like embarrassed that this all happened. Hey, Mm -hmm. Graham, we're in such a good spot and now look where I am. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And I got on a call with him and it was like an hour and a half conversation and I could just see the defeat that was spoken into him. Mm -hmm. Tragic. And I went through and I got him back on track. I got his mind in the, in the right place again. Um, because yeah, he like wasn't working, you know, his son's in high school, couldn't go to his son's football games, like really, really bad after being so good. Disability was spoken into him. Mm-hmm. It was scared into him. Yep, felt sure helpless, was. felt like there was a dead end, felt like there was nothing else to do. Sure was. And what it took was my words to get him back on track, to get him to start moving again, to get him to start doing exercises again. And after getting back on track, he just graduated, almost pain-free completely, back to doing the things that he loves to conquer the rest of his life. (laughs) This is wild, dude. So words matter. Yeah. The first thing you start hearing when you go to see a provider of any, any kind is, Oh, this is bad. This is bad. Look at this image. You should stop this. You should, if that's what you hear, you got to run. You got to run because call grant at rehab. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please. I'm passionate about this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The guy's name was Rob. If I had not been able to get him to come back, his life would be completely different. Who knows? And and it's impossible to predict. Maybe the next 20 years would have been spent Mm -hmm. in fear. Mm -hmm. And it hurts me so much to know that there's people out there that receive that frustrating. And then that's it. And that's their sentence. And people are being sentenced to disability through words and through images and through all these things. Um, it's sickening and, uh, it's very, very frustrating. 